Scythe, Ticket to Ride New York, and Baba is You. This is Staying In. It's a life changer since I started using two screens. I first used them at work, right? And I don't know if you've ever... I mean, how many screens do you use, Chris? Uh, just the one. Just, just the, one. the one at work, yeah? Yeah, just the one at work. Okay, Mark? I use three, like an absolute Tory. Right, okay, right. Here's the thing. <laughs> I used to use one screen at work, and I would. I was always like, I was always like, this is absolutely fine for me. I'm fine. I got my tab game down. I know exactly what I'm doing. Tab, 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 all throughout all the, sort of, all the stuff. I can't remember what it was. I think it was, it was basically like a spreadsheet and a graph or something like that. And I immediately knew, immediately knew, I was like, I'm going to need to get a second screen here. And I went up to a second screen at work, and then I came home, and I only had the one on my computer. And I just thought, what am I doing with my life? The more screens you add to a point, then the better, I would argue. To a point, to a point. I mean, you can have too many screens, and I will say that everyone in my office has two screens. Um, Right. But I have a, a monitor at home that, uh, because, you know, I, I moved to Ireland and I haven't really had like my own kind of proper office type area to have mm. my laptop and my monitor. So I thought, you know what, I'll just take my monitor and I'll use it in work and I'll have three monitors. And yeah. because of the work that I do, I have like, you know, one screen that has uh, Discord and Skype open. I've got yep. one screen which has uh, Zendesk for all the work I'm doing on there. And then I have just the monitor, what I call just the, the tab screen of death. It's, you know, yep. 45 Google Sheets of varying content and quality, and then maybe Twitter, a Twitter feed going as well. Mm-hmm. Um, as I have managed to uh, find ways to uh, reduce the work or, or, you know, streamline the work that I do, I have come to the realization that I do just have this screen that sits there, and, and it really is just the Twitter feed now. I That's all it, it is. That's all it is. That's the thing. That's why I want a third screen at home. What I, I, it's not going to be for Twitter. It's going to be for I'm going to see whether or not I can download Winamp and get like a visualization going, right? And have like some sort of mad DJ sort of visualization thing playing along to I don't know whatever it is I'm listening to at the time. So you basically That's... want like the early PlayStation One demo kind of like oh, thing yes. going on. In all honesty, that's actually what I want. I want to hook up that PlayStation and I want to get a CRT TV and I want to put music player on or whatever the hell it was called. What was it? No, what was it called? There was, there was, wasn't it? Was, uh, game's the wrong word for it, but you could buy it and it would. There was a demo disc. Yeah. And then there was, so there was a demo disc that had, I think, some visualizers on the actual yeah. like PlayStation, the original PlayStation 1 you grey thing. You just popped a CD in. You popped a CD in, you get a little visualization. But there was also Music 2000. That's it. That's Music 2000. That had like a proper, like, oh, if you put your CD in, like, if, you, if, you're, not, if you're not too busy doing the same sort of thing with VibRibbon. VibRibbon, yes. I was going to say VibRibbon. <laughs> right? Then oh, you can put that in and we'll give you this really ace looking 90s visualizer. And. I just want to dedicate a screen to that, really. Chris, I don't really understand how you're doing anything with a single screen unless it is 12 feet long or something like that. Well, I I just kind of worry that, like, three screens mm. would just go beyond my peripheral vision. It is kind of... <laughs> It is kind of like, you know, if you see a drummer, like uh, if you've ever seen Iron Maiden, uh, their drummer, he he is surrounded by a drum kit. You can't actually see him. He's hidden right. behind crash cymbals and whatever else. It's everything, anytime he moves, he just, he creates percussion. Yeah, pretty much. You just fling an arm out and oh, there's a cymbal behind me. Cool, awesome. 
it's kind of a similar thing with the monitors. It's just you kind of look up, and every now and again, my head pops up from just a, mm. a sea of monitors. But you mm. feel like a king, though. You feel like a champ. Right, exactly. And that's what, that really is what it's all about, I think. It's about feeling like, hey, maybe I am Sandra Bullock from those hacker movies that she did once, right? Maybe I am that person. How many hacker movies did Sandra Bullock do, Pete? Yeah, this is a reference that's lost on me. Um, um, Pete, by the way, Mark, has very, dare I say, it, limited knowledge of cinema. So <laughs> she references are always left of field. Okay. I, she was in The Net the 1995 the so film The Net. I reckon, Pete, you saw that on ITV, and every, yep. went, every time it went to commercial break, that for you oh, segmented it, and it created a new film when it cut I back think, after the break. I think new that, film. that actually might be right, basically. It looks great. I, I don't remember any of it. Except Sandra Bullock's a hacker. S- Sandra, Basically, Sandra Bullock... Right, okay, okay. Sandra Bullock is a hacker, right? Right. I think I was basically so struck by that as an idea. It's like, I don't know... Um, Sandra Bullock driving a bus that if it goes under 50 will explode? You know, no, but of... I can understand that. I can understand that as a premise, right? I guess it's just that Sandra Bullock does not... She doesn't convince me when she's typing away. You know what it is? It's kind of like when Denise Richards was... Uh, what the hell was she in The World Is Not Enough? Like a nuclear physicist or something. I, I just don't yeah it's like I don't I just don't agree that you are this person it would be like if you cast like like let's say for example you were doing a movie about Don Juan right and the director decided to cast Joe Pasquale in the leading role you it just wouldn't I wouldn't believe that that was it Sandra Bullock great actress I'm sure I'm, I'm sure I've seen her in many I'm other sure. things <laughs> I, I'm sure she's fantastic. Well, like she's, been, she, I liked her in that. I totally got that she was um, in, uh, in you know, she was in. It was Speed Two or Speed One that she was in. She's in both of them. She's in both. She, I, she I drives a boat in the second one. I can, it's Keanu I complete, that's not in the second one. Yeah. So that's the thing. I completely believe that she would be in that sort of terrible situation twice in her life. She, wasn't she also in that one where? Yeah, she was also in Gravity. I completely believed that she was an amazing, like Great astronaut and like just and and like all that sort of stuff. She was really really good in that. Thought she was ace. Really good in Gravity. Saw that in the cinema actually. I just did not believe for a second that she was hacking into mainframes uploading data to mini disc or whatever the devil it was that hackers were doing in 1993 or 95 or whatever it is i just didn't agree and that took you out of it it just took me out of it that's what i'm saying i recently went to see the uh, the 20th anniversary screening of the matrix and 20th, re- the 20th anniversary 20th anniversary yeah so it was released in 1999 because we are that old now to give you some uh, kind of idea of how long and how far life has gone since then I wanted to go and see it because I haven't seen that film in about 10, 15 years. And when it first came out, I will admit that my grandparents at the time had a, a pirated cable box. And they were about, yeah, I know, right? I know. It's the first time we were revealing this. Mm, they had okay. about four or five uh, channels which were related, uh, just that you could go and you could rent a film for a couple of quid. And, um, you know, you could just do that. And this was pretty kind of revolutionary for the time, I guess. But because we had this box, it meant that all those films were available. So I watched The Matrix 50 times and I watched Notting Hill 100 times. And yeah, yeah, classic yeah. double bill. <laughs> oh, exactly, exactly. 
but as a 12 year old obviously there are certain themes and concepts and ideas with the matrix that may kind of pass over your head uh so i i wanted to see it again to see okay what what would i miss the first time and obviously it's the matrix it's on the cinema screen i never got a chance you have to go and see it and i came away from it just one blown away how good that film still looks you know 20 years yeah. later it, there's very few there's there's maybe like two scenes that are a little bit well that's definitely there's a green screen or something's kind of going on in the background there but for the most part that film holds up uh, remarkably well uh, i think because there's actually a lot more kind of physical stuff than there is cgi but you know, where the cgi is used is used really, really well um the other thing as well is the film isn't as dated as i thought it would might be uh, because there are a lot of films from uh, the the 80s and the 90s, and specifically the 90s. Like, I remember watching mm. uh, The Beach last year, and that film is so quintessentially 90s. And I think a lot of it is to do with the, the soundtrack and the fact that, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio looks about 12. So right, sure. Help. Um, but it was those two things, and just the general idea that it's amazing that that film got released and, and was created you know, as it was, that the Wachowski brothers were given just, you know, that, hey, here's our script. Well, they, so they wrote three scripts. There was two films and there was uh, The Matrix. And Warner Brothers just bought all three scripts and they uh, created, it was uh, Assassin and then Bound. And Bound was the first one that they directed. And they were given a budget of three million and it became like a cult classic. Uh, and then Warner Brothers were like, hey, here's 65 million. Go and make The Matrix as your second film. Uh, which is, you know, now, obviously, there are certain, because The Matrix is very much heavily influenced by you know, cyberpunk and, and anime, and a lot of stuff that, in 2019, has crossed over to the, the Western yeah. audience. But yeah. in uh, 1999, you've had some stuff like, you know, Akira is obviously a cult classic that made its way over. But mm -hmm. a film like that, in 1999, it's very much a risk for a studio like a Warner Brothers yeah. to release. And just, you know, reading up about how they were just, hey, here's 65 million. They they didn't change the script. They didn't, you know, when they got the final cut to look at, they were like, yeah, this is incredible. This is the film that we're going to release. Yeah. And not that, you know, in 2019, it's not like The Matrix is a massively weighty, complex film, but it does have its big core idea of The Matrix being this virtual world that we live in and mm -hmm. kind of idea of like, blissful ignorance that we're not aware of the, the real world and the red pill and the blue pill which all writers love to have this whole like hey we're we we're the red pillars and all that nonsense um and it's just amazing that that film got released as it did and, mm. and holds up as well as it did um i don't know yeah. if you have opinions about I, the matrix or anything but i think i've got to say i think that like the thing with the matrix that sticks out in my mind from that period of time is Obviously, like DVD was just kicking off like properly, right? I remember it being like one of the first DVDs that I saw in a shop. I remember going into a Sam Goody, right? A Sam Goody store, which was like basically like an HMV at the time. I think HMVs still exist. Basically went in and saw this DVD for the first time. Because I'd had I had had a video CD, which I'd imported from Japan for like some weird animation thing uh, that I was trying I really wanted to watch like some anime um, and VCD was like oh wow this is incredible this is the future and then I remember seeing like the first DVDs and I I was also super hyped around this sort of time because I knew I was getting a PlayStation 2 
for but for joint birthday and Christmas present. And and obviously DVDs and the PS2 are kind of synonymous with one another. It's definitely like PS2 was kind of one of the pieces of hardware that really pushed. I mean, it was the cheapest DVD player that you could get at one point for yeah. PS2, which I think really helped push the medium forward. And I remember seeing the Matrix in a box, and it was a cardboard box. I own that DVD. Yeah, it was the first DVD I ever bought, and it's uh, right. It's a foldable and it was a cardboard box. And back in the day, when you'd get the chapters list actually printed inside, right? Exactly. And like, and like, I remember also seeing like when you know when I got the uh, you know I eventually saw saw it uh, on DVD play like played it on a DVD player. I remember seeing like genuinely interesting like interactive dvd menu stuff mm-hmm. where they were like oh no this is gonna be the future of watching movies oh vhs rubbish because you can't you know different like the idea was that you could see different angles of the movie on the dvd you could basically go oh i don't want to watch this angle of the movie no listen wachowskis i'm not interested in what you think good direction is i want to <laughs> go over here instead which i thought was really interesting um at the time and yeah i guess there's I remember loving that film and thinking, man, like, I can't wait for another one of these. <laughs> and then, like... And then it happened. And then it happened, and it was like, oh, I, that, maybe the next one will be all right. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, uh. Yeah. Um, but but I think I think it's really interesting that you... that 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 it's come out 20 years later. Obviously, it's, you know, it's just a milestone, right? Like, there's any excuse to, to put out a, a, a thing again. But... Do you think like, do you think it's like relevant now? Like you see all this, so you see cyberpunk, like that's doing uh, uh, for the the Witcher folks uh, over at CD Projekt. Like cyberpunk seems to be getting a lot of like interest from a lot of different people. Uh, you see, I mean, even the RPGs done quite well. You see stuff like, I mean, the Netrunner card game's gone away, but you can see people who I've already said, oh, we're going to do more with Android, um, and I think. The actual Netrunner license might be going to somebody else at the moment. Something like I think I heard something about that the other day. There seems to be kind of like a cyberpunk e stuff. There was Blade Runner uh, 2. This, uh, the, the second Blade Runner movie came out uh, relatively recently. Is this like the zeitgeist at the moment? I, I think it's more actually just because of uh, Keanu Reeves and his resurgence <laughs> in the last sort of five to seven years with the John Wick films. Because <laughs> mm. He's had a he's had a very interesting career with some highs and lows from like you right. know, the the early stuff with uh, Bill and Ted's to Speed to you know he his first cyberpunk film was that uh, Johnny Johnny Mnemonic which is a word I can never say properly the Philip K Dick novel right yeah 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 and then there was the Matrix and then he had just a slump where you had the the two Matrix sequels you had I remember seeing uh, a, a samurai film he was in like 49 Ronin or 47 Ronin or something and a couple other films which were just yeah like a Scanner not... Darkly he did the Richard Lignator film which is yeah. based on another sci-fi novel and then and then he just he kind of just went down the ladder in terms of you know uh, notable actors yeah. that you would think of and then the, the the first John Wick came out and then everyone was like Keanu Reeves he's just he's just the best and, yes, you know, and then uh, John Wick two happened, and then John Wick three happened, and he had a a, a knife fight, a, a fight in a knife museum, which I thought was the most hilarious thing I'd ever seen in the first five minutes of cinema ever. And and now he's obviously in the new cyberpunk game, and you know, trying to so it's less about it's less about cyberpunk being zeitgeisty. It's I think more it's about, just about Keanu Reeves is the greatest actor 
the, well, the world is a bit Well, I'm not going to say the greatest, but I mean, did you did you know who was uh, originally um, kind of pitched to play Neo? It was Will Smith, wasn't it? There was Will Smith and there was one other person as well. Ewan McGregor? Nicolas Cage. Oh my <laughs> now, I'm not saying that The Matrix would have been better with Nicolas Cage. I'm saying it would have been an experience. That it would, I would have been have, different. I would have enjoyed it. You know what? You know what I love about Nicolas Cage? <laughs> he would have questioned everything. <laughs> he would have questioned... Right. That. And also, he gives it his all. He does. Every single role. There's not a single whether he, time... Whether he should or he shouldn't as well. Yeah. Should be yeah absolutely. Whether the actor... Whether or not the character calls for it, it doesn't matter. He's going to put everything into that role. And you know what? Bless him. Um, I, I can't imagine a person giving a completely different imagine hit neo neo this very quiet thoughtful reflective you know can't really believe what he's talking being seen and then like he sort of has his sort of almost religious awakening and then becomes a very serene meditative person i can't imagine like how that would have been portrayed by him and keep in mind as well that um Morpheus was also casted originally potentially for either Gary Oldman or Samuel Jackson. And I, the <sighs> idea of Samuel Jackson and Nicolas Cage chewing up scenery like you've never seen before. In... I actually, do you know, we're, maybe we're in the dark timeline. Because actually, I, I think that that could be a, an amazing movie. Could be. <laughs> <laughs> Chris doesn't seem... No. I don't think that was. There was. It was interesting because lots of criticism was levied at Keanu Reeves's acting style as being quite wooden. Yeah. And actually, that that kind of style. I'm not saying that he is wooden, but for The Matrix, worked really, really well because yeah. you have this kind of doe-eyed, blissfully ignorant kind of individual who smells that there's something not quite right, but can't quite put his finger on it. Who has this curiosity, yeah. but he's just this sponge. And he becomes the eyes for us, the audience, who is trying to slowly kind of stumble his way through this real world, let's say, in the same way yeah. that we are. And I think one of the reasons why the the sequels didn't do as well was we lost that. Here we had a person who yeah. knew more than we did. Uh, we didn't have anyone who was us, really, in these uh, latter two films, which actually I still do enjoy, broadly speaking, the ideas of it. It's just... I still can't get over the, that sense of disappointment with what followed. I guess that's the thing, isn't it? Like you, you, you see something like The Matrix, and it was really foundational for me. I mean, you know, me and my friends. So I actually, I think I saw it in the cinema. I and I, I think seeing The Matrix in the cinema at the time, I think was our generation's. Oh yeah, I was at the Sex Pistols first concert. Like. I, like apparently the the num like it didn't actually do that well at the box office, especially in the UK. Like it just didn't do numbers at all. And then I think a lot of people are like, oh yeah, I totally saw that in the cinema. And I think I saw that first one in the cinema, but I can't remember. But like remember when I saw it, I saw it at roughly the same time as all of my pals at the time. And then from then on, it was like, and we were all sort of we were sort of like the ones who were into alternative music, the few people in, in my area that were actually into alter, alternative music. From then on, it was all about trench coats. Yeah. Like, <laughs> if you if you didn't have a trench coat from, you know, uh, what they called, like, Blue Banana or whatever it is, like, if you didn't have, like, a, like something like that, 
Well, it also helped that, you know, this was in the late 90s and you had the kind of new metal scene in America had really picked up and, uh, you know, angry white boy, loud music was the new thing. And yeah. unfortunately, we kind of saw with stuff like Columbine where um, yeah. they were actually you know, very much into trench coats and that kind of helped... I, that's a whole other conversation we don't need to get into considering recent events but yeah the the trench coats I, I do remember seeing them and I, I was only like 12 13 at the time but i even for me i kind of was like why is everyone like wearing these neo rocks that are like seven feet tall and yeah! everyone's dressed in black and it's it's september like well it's august what's going on here it's just but... like come on take that off you're gonna be sweating yeah. I, I think honestly so yeah i mean i like the matrix to me is like one of those like those touch points right like 1999 of like of like man the future's gonna be amazing like it's gonna be super yeah like 1999 right you're right at the the, the turn of the millennium the 20th century's just about to finish ah oh, i can't wait for the 21st century that sounds so futuristic imagine living in 2010 that would be incredible you know oh, it's gonna be we're gonna do so many amazing things with technology Ah, oh, these Wachowskis, they've got this really, really cool idea about, like, data and humans and how we're all going to interface with the maybe the internet. I mean, I've got, I've got, some, I've got some hours on AOL. I reckon it's going to be pretty good. <laughs> and all that stuff. And I remember being super excited about that. And it's all kind of like, it's all merged together into this one sort of crystallization of around the same time thing. Yeah, I, I do think that the, the thing there about the internet, uh, I think that kind of helps with... Um just the the hype around the film is that that was in yeah. the early days of the internet and they had the what is the matrix website and i think all that stuff really very much the timing of that film when it was released as you know the millennium was coming around and, and not i don't think the, i don't know when the the millennium bug became the thing that people were terrified about but technology was certainly advancing to a point where i don't know i guess because I think the thing with The Matrix, and we've mentioned there about like cyberpunk and technologies, but there was definitely like this idea of, of the, the mainstream consciousness being becoming a little bit more aware, I guess, of, yeah. of technology and the, the advancements in technology. And not to say that The Matrix was the thing that made everyone go, oh, the future and the internet and oh, we should be really scared. But I, I, I think it played a point and, you know, it is, is definitely uh, it left a, a cultural mark, I think. In the grand scheme of things and hugo weaving is amazing yeah i, I didn't want to finish this without pointing out that hugo weaving is incredible as agent smith and just he he's right. portrayal of like being kind of like an android but not quite and he speech yeah. he gives to morpheus about the human race being like a disease and oh my god he's amazing in that mm. uh yeah what was he in what was hugo in recently um, but he was the Red Skull in uh, the first Captain America film. He's been Elrond in Lord of the Rings. Who was oh, he in yes. Lord of the Rings? Elrond, he was in Lord of the Rings, yeah. yeah. Which one's Which one's Ron? He's like one of the head elves. Ronnie. Which one's Ronnie? Yeah, a Elrond, elf. one of the head elves in uh, Rivendell. Is he the one who sends them all out on the quest, and he's married to that lady one? He sends them out on the quest. Yeah. All right. Okay. They have the big council where they all sit around and chat. Shoot the breeze. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about slamming things together that don't theoretically work, uh, Chris, you've been playing Scythe. <laughs> I really have, and that is actually, Pete, a really good description of this game. 
And you told me that when I said I was going to play it. It's weird, isn't it? I didn't quite believe you. Mark, have you come across this game at all? What was the game? I, did, I missed that. Scythe. Oh, Scythe. Scythe. No, it's I'm basically it, a board no. game. And you can get it as a as a PC version on Steam. And I did download it because Pete warned me in advance that it's quite a crunchy game. And I thought, why? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. My neighbor has um, arranged um, for me, him, my partner, and, and his friends to kind of all gather at this board game cafe, this local one, and play the game. And I thought, okay, none of us have played the game before. Yeah. It was yeah. actually seven of, of us in total playing it for the very first time. Oh, no, Chris. How long and did you average the table out for? It about 30 minutes per person. Oh. And so I thought, okay, I know this is going to be tricky. Thankfully, two of them had, had gone online and watched a kind of rules okay. explanation. And actually, it does make a lot of sense playing it. The rules are pretty easy to pick up and play. Definitely, 100%. The problem with the game, and Sam will agree with this because we were chatting about this afterwards because Sam has since played this with me and my neighbour, is that you look at it on the box, you think, that's a war game. Oh, yeah, cool. Not like war game, war game, you know, like miniatures. It looks like a strategy like war, game, war game to some yeah. degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Memoir 44. Brilliant. Sam yeah. and I play that. We Amazing. move things. It's a, it's a, Oh, it's area control. Great. It's about mm. trying to hold these territories as much Brilliant. as you can. It's Why not that not? at all. It's, it's an engine building game. Yeah. But if you look at the box, and the box is this beautiful artwork, it's set in the 1920s in a kind of alternative Europe where after the First World War, this big factory has gone defunct and it lies in the centre of this board. And all the different European factions are competing to try and get to this factory and they're trying to build up their resources and they're trying to get popularity. They're trying to get energy or power. They're trying to build structures on the board. They're trying to get workers in place. They're trying to upgrade all of their different aspects of their empire, for want of a better word. And they're fending off attacks if they happen. But on the box, it looks like you see these beautiful mech miniatures and you're thinking, okay, great, this is going to oh, be man. combat, dice chucking, yeah. yada, yada, yada. It's yeah. not that at all. No. We played one, our first game of it. The first battle happened about two hours in. My partner made this battle because she thought, let's try it. She severely regretted it. And uh, and we learnt from that lesson, and none of us fought for the rest of the game. It's a yeah, it's a game about giant mechs, and it's a it's not about giant mechs, and b like like you're really punished for going to war. Yeah, because like massively the power you put in, because essentially it's like you 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 secretly decide how much power you're putting in, and then you reveal your cards, and obviously it's that classic thing: whoever has the most power kind of wins, really. Yeah. And, but your power then that you put in is depleted and it's it takes gone. a while to get that up. And it is an engine building game. And, you know, for the listeners who aren't familiar with an engine building game, it's where literally you have generally your own set of boards in front of you and you are slowly but surely incrementally building up and leveling up different aspects of it. And that is where the enjoyment for me lies in this. I have my own little board and the board's got these little indentations in it that perfectly slot these cubes into it, which is really yeah. satisfying. Yeah. That is the lure of this game. It's not the beautiful board you've got in front of you and the moving stuff around. It's actually moving cubes down, upgrading. And I played it the second time and I won. And the only reason I won was that nobody bothered me. They left me alone because it was me, my neighbour and Sam. We all had our own portions of the map. My neighbour and Sam fought each other. And while they spent two turns preparing for the fight, I just had time to level up and get all my things on the board, all my mechs on the board. And yeah. you win if you've got um, stars on the leader table and you get those stars for a 
fulfilling all of your uh, goals, your upgrades. There's a little bit of asymmetry there because everyone's players are slightly different. They all have slightly different goals as well. But it's an odd duck, this game. And it took me a second time playing for it for it to realise that actually it's one of those games that I enjoy playing it. Yeah. I would never want to own it. It's a very much a game that I would occasionally play with mates at a board game cafe, even though the expansions and particularly the Rise of Fenris do appeal to me quite a bit. Yeah. I'm playing it tomorrow, actually. Um, our local board game cafe is running a scythe night and I'm on, I've got a place on it, really. So it's going to be seven of us and he's hosting it. And Scythe's one of his favourite games. So I'm really curious to see, actually, what it's going to be like because I, I don't think I'll have the opportunity to play the same strategy I did before because mm-hmm. there'll be seven of us on this quite cramped set of territories and we're going to be forced to compete with each other. Yeah. Um, so the same strategy I did before won't work and it will feel more like an area control game, I think. You said, uh, did you say that you'd, you'd bought the video game? I did, yeah. I got it on Steam. So, uh, I got it in the Steam sale, so it was relatively cheap at that point. Okay, so I, I, I'd be, I'd be very. It's interesting that you wouldn't want to own it, but you own the video game version of it, right? Yeah, that was really just as a primer. Because actually, I genuinely thought I would like it more than I did. I genuinely thought, oh, this would be great. I'll, I won't fork out for the big board game, but if no. I get, if I have that itch that I want to scratch, I'll play it on Steam. Great. I mean, have you played the video game since playing the board game? I mean, no, I haven't. Have uh, you played the video game much? <laughs> No, I played the tutorial and actually I find the tutorial a little bit impenetrable on the video game compared to actually playing yeah. it actually yeah. as a tabletop game. That's really interesting because I started mucking around with a, a couple of uh, board game digital adaptations recently and I I also found the tutorials really... I find tutorials, and I don't know if you're, same, uh, you're the same as me, but I find tutorials in games very very challenging when what they essentially give you is either all right click here now click here now click here and we're going to give you a sort of vague rundown of what the rules are but we're not really going to tell you why any of it's particularly interesting or useful or it's just a wall of text i i find that like if you have uh, an instruction or a tutorial and it's just text i will not know what is going on it's just like skip 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 yeah it has to be like an actual physical yeah. Do this uh, and do yeah, the thing. I, I just can't. I'm, I'm terrible with that kind of thing. Especially with things like uh, digital adaptations of board games. You're essentially the person who you know. You know, in the physical world, you'd be the person who's like, all right, okay, this is what you need to know. And you'd be the person like read, reading it through with them and say, okay, this, you do this, then you do this, then you do this. And Sam, for example, and, and you, Chris, indeed, are very, very good with board games and like, bringing people on because i'm sure you've done tons of it now of like learning the rules and then telling people how to actually play the game you're very good at it but when you do that in a tutorial and it's just okay read this and sort of vaguely hopefully understand everything that's being said to you like it's very it's very it's very different to be told like okay you get three uh you get three victory points, or whatever it is and then the, the you find the tutorial doesn't actually point to and these are victory points or like more than that, they're like, these are three victory points. Okay, well, what do these actually do? Like, what are these victory points for? How many do I need? Is three good? Is, you know, what is the context of what you're telling me? And I find a lot of these digital adaptations are like, woefully lacking in this. Like, they're just really poor at sort of like getting you on board unless you've already played the game beforehand. That's what I think it is. I think they are that there's an expectation there that this is for people who've already played the game. Yeah, like have you played 
have either of you played the the digital version of Catan? Because oh yeah, I've yeah. played both of them. Right, because I I haven't touched them yet, and I've been curious because they released one on the Switch not too long ago, uh, and I'm curious to pick it up because I you know, Catan is one of my favorite board games to to play. But I'm curious if I pick it up. Um, as I'm playing it, like I, I imagine it would do a similar thing with the tutorial. I would wonder, would I, you know, understand what is being explained to me, even though it's a game that I know, just because, right. because, yeah, as you mentioned, um, unless a tutorial is done in a specific way, if it's just a wall of text, it's it is very difficult to pick those things up. And I think the the big thing more than anything else is, you know, if you have someone explaining the game to you, you can ask questions to them, right? And you can't exactly. do that with the game, and like. The I think the thing with so I played the I think I played the most recent yeah I think I played the most recent version of Catan and I played the previous version as well the previous version was was not so good and that's I think why they've why they've changed it um, the new version I think the tutorial is better um, if you've played Catan before you'll you'll get into it because at, at some point you're just kind of like learning where all the buttons are right the problem with Catan for me personally as a as a as an adaptation is like. Part of the fun of Catan is is like okay, I need I need three words. Okay, I can give you two sheep, and it's having that haggle. Yeah. And when you're doing like a digital version of it, you're essentially like clicking through multiple menus to go three, no, and it's like it's, it's like three word, no, reject, and then it's like okay, uh, two word, no, reject, and you, you there's no context of like why that's being rejected. It might just be that like they just don't want to give you the thing, and you just end up like. Click, 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 like trying to get through this thing all the time. Yeah, it's it's a it's a funny old one. So I mean, like I, because I I was really interested in getting picking Scythe up, but like I haven't played the 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 board game version in a while now, and I would definitely need a refresher. And it sounds like the tutorial is a bit like it is a bit meh. Like the best the best thing to do, Pete, honestly, would be to I prefer actually. I think maybe i'll regret these words but playing it on something like tabletop simulator because having just seeing the cubes and being able to move physically move the cubes as an upgrade Mm. i I, that that tactility there and maybe i'm just maybe the the people listening are saying we'll just play the the game it sounds like all you want is actually the live tabletop game game, um but I, i i think that actually strangely enough it flattens that experience on a screen and you re- and because I run it, oh, it's not a problem with you two because you have multiple screens. You're used to that <laughs> kind of. Mo- but like this, uh, it, having it all on a single screen, it misses the point of Scythe where it's looking up at the board, seeing where your mechs are, seeing your workers, and looking down at your secret two boards. You know, you know your two boards in front of you, thinking, "Yeah, I can do that, do that." And there's also that feeling that, and and I didn't get too precious in Scythe because whatever happened to my mechs on the board my lovely little upgrade table in front of me right in front of me no, no one was touching that no one was going to damage that at all right and I was I went into my own little world kind of I suppose in an anti-social manner but I, a lot of people are like this I imagine lots of worker placement games say for example where you've got your little board in front of you and you just you just kind of you know doing some housekeeping the, that kind of thing some light dusting um, oh shall I go here yeah 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 um, because it is a very elegant game, actually. It is a really tightly constructed game. It feels really, really well tested. I just think that it's really interesting, depending on who you've got playing with you, the game almost has takes on a completely different genre. If you've got really if you've got people who know you very well and they did which just want to fight, it becomes a war game, it becomes area control. If you've got people you don't know each other very well, which is what we had the first time I played it, seven of us who don't really want to 
as our first introduction to these people we've never really met before. Annihilate them. Yeah, (laughs) declare war on them. Yeah. You just become very, you know, pacifist and you're moving. You're just just in your own little world there and it becomes this nice little engine building game. Yeah, Scythe's a really strange beast. I almost want everyone to experience it because... They won't. People won't believe me when I'm saying it's this. It's like so three games. Stuff. They'll go out and play it. Uh, yeah, but it's because there is a huge cult following for it. And but I think with it, good, just just to be clear, I think with good reason. Like I think I think it's I think it's oh, a it's, cool it's, game. It feels really robust. It feels really yeah. chunky. It's crunchy. It's yeah. thinky. But it, it's it's it'll be definitely be not what you expect it to be. I think that's yeah. that's my main takeaway from that really. It's definitely not what you expect it to be. Um, if you want a good engine builder, though, we talked about it in the pod a few weeks ago, Brass, I think that's what it reminded me of a lot the most Okay. in that regard. Brass, if you like that engine building side of things. Uh, Brass has picked up some awards this year as well, I think. One of, the re- one of the reasons that I tend not to go with these big games like Scythe anymore, like, I mean, I, you know, I have some big games, right? I'm, I'm not afraid of... Um, there are some miniatures games over there. They are rules heavy and like I'm not afraid of that stuff I'm also not afraid of big physical like physically large games right I got Descent uh, I got uh, I mean I got three Catan <laughs> like uh, uh, boxes tons of stuff like that I'm not afraid of those big big things but I definitely have over the last mm, I don't know two years become more and more and more put off by board games that take a long amount of time if they're not definitely going to be played by the group of people that i would more likely play with them so like miniatures war games uh, skirmish games and war games and stuff like that i'm kind of like well i know which ones my group plays so i'm okay with these and i'll put some time into actually making these things and making them all nice and learning all the rules because i know that somebody's going to play you know uh bars and badges with me it's gonna be great but i've kind of gone off buying games like scythe for myself simply because i know that I'm never going to play them. Like I, I don't buy it because you know we're all split across different parts of you know the UK, and I know that if I bought Seafall, which looks great, like Seafall look. I mean, to me, I'd I'd love to give Seafall. I, you know, I love the idea of like sales and all that sort of stuff. I mean, I've got Sales of Glory, for example. Sales of Glory, fantastic, huge box, really, really good game, great game. But like, here's the problem, like. I don't really know anybody else who plays it. And then, like, it takes two or three hours to play the game itself. And then, like, you're, you're kind of, like, going down this thing. And actually, I found this was the case with a game that I really wanted to buy and then completely put off purchasing because I was like, These, this takes too long. It's too much setup. And that game is Ticket to Ride, right? Because I really like Ticket to Ride. I think Ticket to Ride is a, a game that is, like, it's it's accessible enough like the mechanics of them are accessible enough that you can actually teach it to new players quite quickly like the problem i always found that is that games took an hour and a half two hours like because it's like you got the maths at the end you've got like explaining to people how the game actually works you've got the bloody great big board you got to explain like how tunnels work if you're playing europe or if you you know you know different bits and pieces right for the various different versions, and it really put me off purchasing it for a really long time. I find that really interesting. To, I'll, I'll let you carry on, but like, because I I really really enjoy Tickets to Ride, and I find that that experience is actually quite similar to Catan in terms of 
uh, the, yep. the length of, of uh, a yep. game of Catan. If I'm just going with like the base version of Catan, none of the extensions, none of the other stuff. Yep. Uh, I find that and Ticket to Ride are actually quite similar. In, comparable. In, comparable. And I also find in terms of like teaching a new person, I would say Ticket to Ride is probably even slightly easier. Other I than completely agree. At the end. Yeah, I completely agree. Catan, I bought Catan years ago. And so I had that before I started to feel a little bit like, ah, I'm buying these games and not playing them. So like I have, uh, I think technically, three expansions for Catan and, and the original Catan. And two of the expansions I've not even used. Because I, like, I, I, I just found out through playing it you know Catan like you don't actually get that I just don't have that kind of gaming group right I just I don't really have a gaming group as it is and if we're going to play a game then it's going to be with silly little toy soldiers and like so I find so I mean I find Ticket to Ride's about an hour and a half two hours maybe like depending on you know if you're chilling out and relaxing and do whatever it is and so it really put me off buying it for the longest time then then I went to EGX Rezzed and this was in, uh, is it London? Yeah, it was London uh, that uh, was the one I went to. It was, I think it was this year. And there was like a board game section. And I had no idea, but they had recently released a game called Ticket to Ride New York. And it was this tiny little box. It's, it's really quite small. It's about the size of, uh, it's a little bit smaller than the Arkham Horror card game box, uh, which is about the same size as like all the other um living card game box. It's a bit smaller than that, so it's actually quite compact. And I saw it and I was like, no, this is tiny. And I started talking to the nice person, um, nice couple who who did these little pop-up board game stores. I wish I could remember their name now. Um, and they were basically saying, like, have you played Tickets to Ride? I was like, yes. Okay. And they were like, brilliant. This is a 20-minute version of that. And I was like, no, that cannot be done. You Surely it must take an hour each game because that is how the game... It's like, no, no, no. Really small, set in New York, set in, like, uh, the I think the swinging 60s. And the idea is that rather than trains, you're putting cabs together and you're putting different rides between different areas of New York from different tourist spots. And the idea is that you connect them. It's much like, again, it's like Ticket to Ride. If you played that, it's, it, it's that. Uh, yeah. But for anybody who hasn't played it, uh, you are you can either pull cards from a set of um, colored taxis and, uh, you know, basically those will then let you put down colored taxis uh, of the same color onto the board to connect up different routes, basically. So if you get three pink cards and you convert them into three pink, uh, you can then go onto three uh, sections of pink route and connect those together and then you score points against it. You can either do that or you can pull out new destination cards, um, which allow you to to basically try and get extra points to uh, connect up these different destinations uh, but also the, the flip side of that is if you don't do them you get minus points and then the but other also one you start with destination cards to begin with and the whole yes. objective is to try and connect from say if we're using europe to connect from like london to moscow and so you, yeah that's your like destination card and you and, have to go from there and you're going to get points and and deducted for example if you can't do that yeah. therefore you have three actions in total pick up cards put down taxis or pick up a destination uh, destination route. And it turns out that if you have a smaller map and a smaller number of playing pieces, it does take 20 minutes. <laughs> um, and it has been the game that I have played the most recently, board game, um, that, I've, that I've just... I've got out whenever I've had pals over. It has joined the 
the honoured pantheon of Ticket to Ride New York with Catan and also with Splendor. The three games that basically are like, well, these are the games that, like, if you have people coming over and they don't really play board games regularly, or even if they don't like board games, these are three where, like, Catan's a bit iffy, but, like, the other two, they'll definitely like. Because it's, like, Catan is a bit sort of like, oh, okay, like, if you don't like conflict, okay, that's going to be a little bit challenging. But the other two, perfect. And, like, man, I was legit... I, it made me realise that I've got to the point in my life now where I actually, there's a, I've, I've started to realise why I like skirmish games in miniatures. It's why I like 20 to 40 minute board games. It's why I like three hour long video games. It's because I get to have this lovely experience of Ticket to Ride, which I love. I just don't have to do that over this really extended period of time. And I think that that's, it's great. I think it's absolutely brilliant. So you sound like you're describing like a meze board or tapas. It's exactly that. It's board gaming tapas, right? Is is it like, you know, a game like Scythe or one of those kind of big complex games, you can own it and you can appreciate it, but it's like buying The Wall on vinyl. You would have it, but you're never going to listen to it because it's like, I don't have 90 <laughs> minutes I can put for that. When I could just go and listen to Green Day for 20 minutes and I'm good. And <laughs> right, I'm fine. exactly. And it's that thing of like, it's that thing of like I still really appreciate those games, and I'll if somebody's like if somebody gets out a copy of Scythe, a, a, a board game thing. If I happen to go to like you know I used to go to these public board game things uh, in Bristol. Absolutely, yeah. Sign me up. More, the more complicated, the better. You got a weird Napoleonic tactics game? Yeah, yes, absolutely, no problem whatsoever. But I think have like I think in reality, like I'm 33. I ain't got time for that. Like, I generally don't have time for that kind of thing. I don't have time these days all that much for big games like Assassin's Creed, for big games like Gloomhaven or anything like that, because I'm just like, I'm, I can't get four people together regularly on a school night. What are you it's talking about? Do the pod, to be honest. Exactly. I'm genuinely surprised I'm here. This yeah, is a it's... really, really long-winded way of coming to the conclusion of having an existential crisis about your age. Basically. Yeah, I mean, this, this Mark, is an intervention that you and I arranged for Pete, isn't it? Yeah, the, you see, what you've done is you've kicked things off with The Matrix came out in 1999, yeah. and now I'm furious. Okay, all right. Sorry about that. Have you ever come across that when someone's trying to pitch a game to you and they say, oh, well, it's like this, cross with this, cross with this, cross with this. And actually, initially, that was quite a cool thing to say. It's like, oh, my gosh, I love those things. Put them together. That's great. Yeah, I love vanilla ice cream. Oh my gosh, I love pizza. Oh my gosh, yeah, I love bourbon biscuits. Yeah, let's put them together. What could go wrong? What could and, go wrong? And actually, if you scythe, if you pull it apart, is actually, I don't need to have engine building, cross of area control, cross with a war game because I've got War of the Ring. I've yeah. got Inish, which is a lovely area control game with cards that's very light and breezy. You can do it in an hour and a half if that. And I've got Oh My Goods, which is a lovely, tight mm. engine building game, which is just a love, deck of cards. Oh my goods. Um, I, and actually, I'd, and each of those can be played on their own. Yeah. And it's I don't feel like I need to have all three of them at once in one game. And I don't yeah. that 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 translates, I think, across to more media and and things. It's not just. I think games. there is this. There is definitely this, uh, Mark. I don't know how well you know 
I mean, are you, are you a big board game fan? Um, I wouldn't say I'm like a massive board game fan. I have the ones that I do enjoy, like the Guitar and Tickets to Rides. And, um, there's, you oh know, my god. You know a bit about one, There was one that I sat down with recently that I played, and I can't for the life of me remember it, but it was... Um, you were given... Uh, everyone was given, a, a, I think, a deck of about seven cards, and they had pictures on them. And um, one person would go at a time, and they'd have to give... Just say anything. It could be an expression, a phrase, whatever it would be. Dixit. Yes, that's it. Exactly what it was. Ah, uh, there we are. And uh, I, you know, I just I sat down. I played for the first time, and within half an hour, I was like, okay, I I love this game. I want to play this game again. So I don't play board games often because I don't have a lot of people around me to play board games with. But as soon as I play something, I usually do get sucked in pretty quickly to playing them. Right, and like. So, so you're okay with like, okay, you know board games, you know a little bit about like, you know the 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 the, the medium because you've been around it, and yeah. you certainly know video games, you certainly know movies. Like, I definitely, I definitely feel like there is this continued push to go harder and harder and harder core into all of these these mediums, right? So, for example, like if we, I've just fired up BGG, right? And they they have this thing called the hotness, and these are just the games that are like the you know the big games at the time that everybody is talking about. And I'm looking through the list, and like yeah, you see stuff like Wingspan, which just won the um, uh, the uh, Spiel des Jahres, for example. And it's just like okay, cool, I get why people are talking about that. But most of the stuff in here is pushing further and further and further down the like either it's a big game with miniature, like it's got lots of miniatures in it, or it's just, or it's like a big legacy game, or it's like got tons of complicated stuff in it. So like, like literally, like easily scrolling through it, it's like, it's like Gloomhaven, Root, Arkham Horror, like you know, uh, Lord of the Rings, the uh, card game, like all of these games that just keep going further and further and further hardcore into the space. And you see it with video games. You see it with them. Uh, I think to some to some degree with movies like you s- with video games for example it's like it's not enough now to just be excited for you know um uh the um it's not it's not enough to just be excited now for Assassin's Creed Odyssey you now have to be excited for like the th- the the season pass and you also have to have like you we well, have to get it from here because then that gives you this content and like you're going to have to play it for 100 hours because like this is like like you know it, it's going to be a 100 hour game and like this this constant push towards towards like well if you're not playing every day what's is it even a video game like it's the same with board games it's like well if you haven't if you aren't able to get a group of 6 together to play this ultra hardcore uh board game with miniatures and legacy and all this other sort of stuff. It's just like, well, what even are you? You know, very, I don't know. And I, I, I kind of feel like, no, get away from me. Don't want any of that. <laughs> want a nice game about taxis in New York. That's what I want. It kind of reminds me, um, have you ever seen like, uh, you go into, uh, uh, not petrol station, but... Service station. Service station. Why would I just escape me there? And you'll see they'll have like, you know, express versions of Monopoly those very right, short right. condensed versions yeah and it sounds a lot like that just you know taking a board game and then kind of condensing it down and or even making take like a mobile port of a, of a video game and making just stripping away at it yeah know? exactly like like the Final Fantasy 15 mobile uh, mobile port it's just like here's the feel of what this is all right bye like because yeah. it's just like yeah that's what I want in that space I don't want like 
I don't want 90 hours of something. No, like, in fairness, in fairness, that sometimes works, and then in the case of like a Super Mario run, it completely ruins what you know, fine. the experience is. So yeah. it's not a completely perfect um, no, of course. method or process, but I, I would definitely pick that up. I, that sounds like something I would definitely play that, that version. So. My uh, my my friend of the show uh, on my other pod, on my podcast, Dave Ryan, he uh, early this year was just throwing praise at this game called Baba Is You, and I was kind of half listening, like, yeah, sure, that cool, that sounds interesting, whatever. I'm yeah, sure, great. I'm playing Ape Out. I'm just that's my thing at the moment. Baba Is You is a puzzle game, but it's more like a a game that teaches you very kind of basic ideas on programming and coding. So. You have a square, um, a grid tile-based uh, square that you exist in, and you are Baba. You are like a tiny kind of weird bunny rabbit, I think, or sheep. Like It's hard to know exactly what Baba is. Okay. And you can, you can move Baba around on the screen. And you may have, or you will definitely have at some point, uh, three tiles that will say Baba is a you. And you can push one of these tiles. You can push Baba, the, what, the tile Baba up or down or whatever, um, but if you do that, you break the chain, and then suddenly you can't move anymore, because now Baba is not you anymore. Uh. Now, somewhere else on the screen, to give a basic idea of a puzzle, uh, there might be a rock somewhere else on the screen. And there'll be the tile that says the word rock. If you push, uh, move or push the tile, rock, and then replace Baba with rock, you suddenly now take control of the rock instead of Baba, and you move huh. the rock around the screen. That is a very, very, very simple like core idea of the game. The idea with the game is that each level there is uh, a tile that says win and it usually is flag is win. You move whatever character you are or object you are over that tile that says win and you move on to the next level. Okay. So at some point you find flag is win, you go over to the flag because it's sparkling and shiny and come over here, you go over it, boom, awesome. And the idea with the game is that it expands on this simple premise to make it more complex and infuriating and you know, adds all these different ideas of like Babbit is you and uh, Hedge and now you can move the rabbit and a hedge at the same time and you suddenly have to move these in different ways to do whatever it is you need to do or maybe uh, you have a, a lake and uh, it is, uh, it's, you know, it's a physical thing that you can't go through or if you touch the lake you will uh, disintegrate. So you have to find a way to basically switch the lake off. So, you know, it'll say like water is melt or water is death. And you have to find a way to move that tile that says death. So you can right. then go through the water. Uh, and, you know, just all kind of variations on that. And it's very much a... The closest thing I can kind of describe it to in the thought process is, did you play The Witness? Yes. John I Blair. didn't. But yeah, so didn't. the idea with The Witness is that if you look up um, you know, a, a video guide, or you try and look up anything where you don't actually learn the rule itself. If you then try and go and do a puzzle afterwards, you're kind of f***ed because you really need to understand the ruling yourself. You know, right. if you go and look up a tutorial or a level on how to do it, you may as well just look up the levels for the rest of the game because you haven't truly understood what you need to do. Right. And okay. brute forcing your way through puzzles isn't really possible. You, you'll just sit there for an hour just kind of pushing tiles and not getting anywhere. Yeah. And it's, you know, again, it's it's like a, a very kind of basic introduction to programming or coding, these kind of just different uh, if statements. And, right, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, I... The thing is, like, Dave explained it to me for about 
20 minutes and <laughs> I was, wasn't that interested. But as soon as I played the first level and I immediately went, I understand what this game is. Oh my God, this is amazing. And then I just went from there. And then after about half an hour, I realized because the, the difficulty curve, it starts off very, very basic. Like, yeah, I can do this. And then you are hitting a wall, literally and figuratively, within about 20 minutes to half an hour. Uh, as you can see a flag on the other side of a wall, and you're stuck within these four walls, and you're like, okay, how do I actually get out of here? Because I have no way to actually escape this. And you realize that you actually need to turn the wall into text, and then you can push the text tiles out of the way, then you can get to the flag. It's... I would very much recommend it, and as the, the general rule and our philosophy and link to the cast, everything is best on switch and yeah of course yeah. go without saying that <laughs> being able to pick up this game for 10 minutes at a time get stuck on a puzzle say all right i'll come back to this in half an hour then come back to it figure it out it's mwah. yeah we were chatting at work today about um we we work a lot with like different intellectual properties and all that sort of stuff and like we were kind of throwing around this idea of like what what kind of game would you make right what ip would you get if you could make any game, what IP would you get? But it can't be an, be an IP from games. So it couldn't be like, oh, I want to make another Witcher. Or like, oh, I want to make another Carmageddon. It can't be that. It has to be an IP that is outside of that, right? So it could be a book. It could be uh, 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 an album. It could be like a piece of art. It could be, um, it could be a film, TV program, whatever it is. But it can't be a video game. What would your number one be? Like... Immediately, uh, Cowboy Bebop. What? Cowboy Bebop, right? Perfect, perfect, great idea. I can totally see how Cowboy Bebop, the video game, would work Space out. Space MMO. How would you make you it? Go. Point and click. What would you do? So, what would you do with it? Like third person uh, action I would adventure? Ha- yeah, like a third person um, kind of. Uh, space MMO, um, you know, Perfect. you have probably a little bit of kind of Red Dead Redemption in there. You do bounties, yep. you fly to different planets, you land, you go around. There's a little bit of kind of No Man's Sky in there, maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and and you're like Spiegel. There you go. Saw it. Exactly. Perfect. That's all you need to be. Chris? I would like to do a video game on Italo Calvino's Invisible Cities, which is basically about when... Marco Polo comes across Kuba Khan and he says, what have you been up to? He talks about where he's been. Yep. And the book is brilliant. Basically, he, he you take you through all these different cities. Each city is allocated about a page and a half. And you right. just read a page and a half and you feel like you've read a whole book about this entire oh. city. And maybe there is a, almost a little bit of a No Man's Sky vibe to it, but I imagine it, there's no linear path in terms of how you explore these cities. Right. But it's, it's, it's woven entirely by imagination, um, essentially. Things you've told him that you're doing the level itself will create around that text. So you'll watch the city build because there's, there's this sense that he's buying for time. He's just making up these cities on the spot. So I like the idea right. of a level almost in a kind of unfinished swan kind of manner being made up on the spot. Beautiful. Beautiful. So we were chatting away in the studio about this and we were like, imagine Smash Brothers, right? Okay. okay. But rather than beloved characters from Nintendo and other video game studios history right yeah instead of that it's classic British sitcom okay alright so like so like Blackadder against no no let's go deeper okay so imagine 
some others do have them. I was literally just thinking that. <laughs> okay, right. You know, that, that that would be in the trailer, wouldn't it? Really, that's yeah. what would hook them in. Yeah, exactly. Right, perfect. But watch out! Here comes a new challenger. It's Mr. Humphreys from Are You Being Served? Right? <laughs> like, get in there, Dad's army. Like, press square to put it up. Like, all of this stuff would be incredible, right? I genuinely believe that, like, if you were to make this one-on-one fight team, or maybe even team-based fighting game, I don't care, Marvel vs. Capcom 3-esque thing, right? With, like, stand-ins and all that sort of stuff. Get some absolutely classic British sitcom stuff in there. And I reckon, I reckon you would sell it to every person over the age of 30 in Britain. Like, what an incredible opportunity that would be. What about, like, keeping up appearances? Like, right. Tyson Bouquet. Hello, just... hello. Right. Yeah, hello, that'd be brilliant. Exactly. You get Hyacinth Bouquet versus Rodney. It's right. And yeah, exactly. Think about the backgrounds that you could have. Oh, look. Oh, oh, we're fighting on top of Princess Peach's castle. Who cares when you could be playing in the tunnel uh, in, in the basement in Goodnight Sweetheart? <laughs> like, like, it would be perfect. From there to a council estate in Peckham. With a, right. Exactly. You know. The game writes itself. <laughs> and I just, I just, but yeah. So basically, I just think, I just think that if we can somehow merge all of those, I'm sure, very expensive licenses together. I if, reckon we can, get a... if we can merge that as well into Invisible Cities and the Cowboy Bebop and kind of bring all of these together, oh. um, you basically end up with Homer's car that he makes in that one episode. <laughs> where, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was Staying In with Peter Winnington, special guest Mark Robinson and myself, Chris Darby. If you want to hear more from Mark, subscribe to Linked to the Cast, where he and Dave Ryan wax lyrical over video games in their podcast. The latest episode, as of this recording, is on Shovel Knight, and is really worth a listen. You can also find them on Twitter, at Linked to the Cast. If you've enjoyed this episode and are keen to dig a little further, why not head over to stayinginpodcast.com. On it, you will find our page on Board Game Geek, our Steam curation page, and all the different ways you can follow us if you so wish. At Staying In Pod is where you need to find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, which is becoming my new favourite, if I'm honest. For those of you who want to get fit and do so for a good cause, come and join our team. Just head to your app store and download Charity Miles for your mobile telephone and look for us in the app at hashtag staying in pod. Finally, although the deadline has passed, you are more than welcome to join our fantasy football page. If you would like to join, just head over to fantasy.premierleague.com and our league code is MPV146. That's MPV146. Thanks for listening.